I'm sure that any parent, family and friends at home would worry about their sons and daughters when they go into war. And it was certainly no different for David's parents. David was a paratrooper of the E Company, 101st Airborne. He would ride in a Jeep when he had to, but he lived to be in a plane waiting for the opportunity to jump. Because he figured he could land behind enemy lines or in some territory where he could position himself to make some difference, something that would, would suppress tyranny and, and, and bring freedom. He lived for that. And of course, as any parent would, especially a mom, she worried about him. So in a letter to him, to his mother, he wrote these words. He said, stop worrying about me. I joined the parachutists to fight. I intend to fight. If necessary, I shall die fighting. But don't worry about me because no war can be won without young men dying. Those things which are precious are saved only by sacrifice. I went back to school in 2008 and, um, in Lakeland and it's, I just wanted to build myself up and, and become a better man, a better pastor. Um, but God had a really cool uh, setup for me. Uh, one of the cousins from my childhood and uh, his name was Roy. Uh, when, I, when we used to play in clubs, uh, Roy would be at every show that he could be at. And uh, he would get... D- does this phrase mean anything in Ohio, drunker than Cooter Brown? Well, he would be drunker than Cooter Brown. Just know that's pretty drunk. He would get like that and he liked to fight. and uh, He was just always around. But now he made sure because we, uh, we were young and... And no one ever messed with us because Roy Wayne was around. And I, of course, I got saved and got out of that lifestyle. And Roy Wayne uh, stayed with a little bit of what he was doing. He'd started to settle down. And, and it just so happened that the, in Lakeland, where I was going back to school, he had a house and I could stay with him. I'd go for one week a month and, uh, and I'd stay at his house. And God had this setup where I would meet not only Roy, but I'd become good friends with his friends. Almost every night, the preacher was in the room and uh, they would probably, between the three or four of them, they would drink you know, a case or two of beer. And they'd talk, and I, we'd talk about church and talk about God. One of the guys I met was named Randy. Uh, Randy was the loudest of the group, which is a big thing. If you're in Roy Wayne's group and you're the loudest of the group, you're loud. And uh, Randy was a Vietnam vet. Uh, in fact, are there any Vietnam vets here tonight? Any, other, uh, any of those that are serving or have served? in the armed forces, would you lift your hand? Could we just say thank you? We're coming up on July the 4th, so thank you. Thank you for serving for us. But Randy, like a lot of Vietnam vets, I know they, they were misunderstood, but I was talking with Randy one night, and even though he had had a pretty good bit to drink, uh, we started talking, and he started talking about Nam a little bit, and Randy said, I did my one term with the army and I signed up for a second term. And he said, when I finished my second bullet in Vietnam with the army, I signed up for a third and they wouldn't let me do it because they figured if you signed up for three terms in Vietnam, something wasn't right. So I'll tell you what Randy did. He, he kind of beat the system. He somehow ended up on a Navy U-boat for his third term, which he wasn't supposed to serve. Well, at least he couldn't stay with the army. And Randy said they would be on the U-boats and, and there would be a particular area where they were uh, firing. And, and he said we would come in and we would just unload all we could and then their boats would come at us. And he said we would turn that U-boat around with all we had firing at them and running in the other direction. And then Randy looked at me and he said, I never felt more alive than when I was there. Every sense in your body, every part of you was on high alert. It was kind of a strange feeling. He said, I never felt more alive than when I was that close to dying. I never forgot that conversation with Randy. I had a chance to talk to him just a couple of weeks ago on the phone. Made me think a little bit about some of you... Uh, I know that in Ohio, no one listens to country music, 
But there's a few of you that may have a couple of years ago when you're backslidden. And Tim McGraw in a song said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. So many times in the body of Christ, what Jesus died for seems to me like is not what's being lived out. Somehow the adventure of being a follower of Christ gets traded in for a safety blanket. And I just can't believe that God's happy with that. I, don't, I, I think many in the church uh, never even push through to fulfill the dangerous life. Yeah, that's the right word too. I think Christianity ought to be on the edge of dangerous. Right out there. Doing something that pushes you beyond your norm. Going to do something that you really can't do for yourself. In fact, I, I, I hate the statement and people say, God will never ask you to do anything that you can't do. I say, that's a lie. Read the book. He asked people to do things that they couldn't do all the time. He never asked you to do things that you and him can't do. But he always asks you to do things that you can't do because if it's your strength, then it's your glory and it's your victory. And we're in this for him, right? So I, I think that there's something that's got to stir. In fact, when, when Pastor John uh, offered the opportunity to come and speak, uh, just a little while, when I, when I said, yeah, I believe that's right. I believe that's good. And just a little while into that process, I, I knew I wanted to talk to you about this subject. Um, We'll call it wild goose chasing, and, and we'll get to it uh, in a moment, just, just why we call it that. Um, so I want you to imagine, if you will, it's been a long day. Jesus and his disciples have uh, been involved in ministry, and ministry for Jesus and his disciples was pretty taxing. Uh, there were times when crowds would just push in, and, and they had... Probably there had been some great teaching along the way. We have some writings of things that Jesus taught... But can you imagine how many other things he said that we didn't get written down? Some of the cool things that he said just walking through the marketplace that, man, were just nuggets of gold. And he's teaching people. And maybe he did do some of the teaching that we'd heard about. And, and, and he'd healed, you know, someone with blind eyes could now see. And maybe someone who was deaf could now hear. And on and on. And, and this long day of all the press and the stress that was all uh, associated with ministry and Things are kind of settling down. The sun's gone down and you just want to rest a little bit. And Jesus is taking a breather. And one of the disciples, we don't know who, but maybe it's Andrew. Because Andrew was really good at bringing other people to Jesus. And Andrew enters the room and says, Rabbi, there's someone here to see you. Jesus, maybe. Yeah, who? And he said, well, it, it's a Pharisee. And, and he's actually, you know, one of the leaders. Jesus pushes through the exhaustion and says, okay, bring him in. And in walks Nicodemus. And here's the account of that meeting. John chapter 3, starting at verse number 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, in our Bible, it goes from God to the next verse like that. But in my mind, Jesus said, no one can be born again unless, he, no one, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I can just hear like a, about a 15 second pause. Nicodemus is, and he works up a response and Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Now you and I have heard the term born again so much. It's just like this to us. Just, you know, it just kind of flows off our lips. We don't think anything about it. Be Nicodemus for a moment. Born again? That's weird. That, come on now. Nicodemus was right on track. You know, Jesus, that's awesome. But how do you, how do you go back and do that all again? That's going to be a real issue. There are physiological, physiological challenges to that whole concept, you know. How can a man be born again? 
Jesus answered and said, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which born of the flesh is, read it out loud, flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is? Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Now this next, these next two verses, I'm telling you, they may be the most two underestimated verses in all of the Scripture. They're just loaded. Verse number 8, Jesus is still speaking. And, and uh, I, I, wish, I wish I could have been there to see if he, if he did any, uh, you know, any movement or any gestures. But Jesus says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. I'm going to read that verse again. And just consider the implications of what Jesus just said. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it. But you do not know where it comes from and where it's going. Then that last nine words, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. I can think of a lot of ways to describe salvation. I can think of a lot of ways to describe what it is to become spiritually alive. You know, there, uh, in fact, the message today, when, when, when you hear salvation preached, and I'm not saying it's wrong, but it has a lot to do with unloading your burdens and getting peace. Have you heard that before? That's the part where you say yes or no. Y- yes, you've heard that? You hear people say, you know, those of you who are struggling with uh, worry or anxiety, you know, if you come to Jesus, he can, he can take that away. And it's true. It happened to me. I remember the night that I gave my life to Christ. I felt like I had a thousand pounds on my shoulder. And when I came and gave my heart to Christ, it was at a camp. I left the room and I was almost walking on air. But when Jesus goes to describe what it's like to be in the kingdom of God and to live a life as one who is born of the Spirit, he says the wind blows where it wants to, and you know it, you hear it, you know it, you don't, but you don't know where it's coming from, you don't know where it's going. Now there's Christianity. What an interesting way to describe the whole thing. Now, those, that, those last nine words can, can be affirming, make you feel good, they can be challenging, make you want to do more. They can actually be a little condemning. Maybe a better word is convicting about where you are. Now, I'll, I'll explain that a little more in a minute. Uh, but I want to talk to you about this wild goose chase. I know that for most of us, the term wild goose chase really means uh, a fruitless effort to do something or find something. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, you've ever heard of snipe hunting? Yeah, you do that in Ohio? Isn't that awesome? It's great. I love doing that. It's awesome, I just think. It, does anybody not know what snipe hunting is? We will take you right after service. You will never be the same. And uh, just, I pray the Lord will help you forgive us all. Um, but snipe hunting is a wild goose chase. It's a fruitless endeavor. Going after something that is not there. That's what you normally think of. And that's what I normally, I always thought of when I heard the term wild goose chase. Until I read a book by Pastor Mark Batterson. And he, he helped me understand it a little differently. In fact, it really challenged me. And, and some of what I want to talk to you tonight really stirred in my heart from reading through that book several years ago. And I had no idea the impact it was going to make on my life and some of the people that I loved. But the Celtic Christians of old used to have a term, and, and, and my best pronunciation is it, on God gloss. I listened to Mark Batterson on YouTube just to make sure I was saying it right. On God gloss. And it's a kind of a strange sounding thing to us, but it actually translates the wild goose, and it was a, it was a term that the, the, the ancient Celtic Christians used to use to describe the Holy Spirit. And, you know, to call the Holy Spirit the wild goose almost sounds a little irreverent unless you understand what they meant by it. They were, they were referencing the untamability of them. Can't be tracked. Uh, uh, they're, they're hard to follow. It's just, it's, it's, it's a term saying 
the adventure of following the Holy Spirit's lead in your life. And really, that's what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is coming and, and, and he's, he's having this conversation and Jesus kind of unfolds. He kind of paints a picture in my mind. It, it's kind of like he painted a picture like with four different brushes to kind of show him what the chase is like. And let me just tell you where I, I want to go tonight. If God will help me and, and God will help us because I really, I'm ask, I ask God, I've asked him probably four, 50 times tonight to please anoint me, help me God to, to listen to you. But I, I want you to know, I don't just count on that. I count on him to touch you. You know, uh, if, if, if God blesses me and helps me to speak what he wants to have said tonight, that's good. But if God will open your hearts and, and God will say things to you that maybe didn't come out of me. It, it amazes me sometimes at the end of the sermon, somebody will say, boy, the Lord used you. And they'll say what they got. And I'll think, I didn't have anything to do with that. I was preaching about something else. But I'm asking the Holy Spirit, would you, could we stop right here before we go any farther? Could you, and I ask the Holy Spirit to anoint us fresh to receive something from tonight. Would you do that with me? I'm going to lead in prayer and you just pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I love your word. I love what your word does to me. I love how your word speaks to me. I love how your word changes me. I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, anoint me tonight. Let your presence so infiltrate my heart. So touch my life that I'm not the same when I leave here. God, make me stronger. God, make me more like you. Holy Spirit, I need you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's talk a little bit about this wild goose chase. Here's the picture that Jesus painted. And it's kind of just four little simple strips. And then I want to tell you how it really mess things up for me. Here's what started. First, in the first two verses, you see Jesus, uh, or at least in the conversation, it kind of starts by showing us something is missing. Remember that opening video? In verse number one and two, it says, now there was a, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, a man who came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come down from God as a teacher, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. What he's saying is, you're there, I see that in you, I'm here, so what's missing? What do you have? What's going on in you and those who are following you that's not a part of my life? You know, that's really a good question to start with tonight for you. You know, as pastors, we get together and, uh, and really just as, as, as people, we get together and we talk about what God has done. And that's a great thing to, to kind of remember and be thankful for. But you know, a good question to ask is what's missing in my life? What is it that God wants to do that I haven't connected with yet? Some of you tonight, I'm, I'm believing with all of my heart that dreams that started when you were, were just in single digits, seven, eight, and nine, maybe in your teen years, dreams that God started and you thought maybe I could do that tonight, you're going to be transported back in time and God's going to remind you, you may have forgot that dream, but I didn't. You may have forgot the adventure that we started, but I didn't. Because God wants us to, to fulfill all that he has for us. And it really is an adventure, a dangerous adventure, so to speak. I think that sometimes we, uh, a lot of people in church today are like Nicodemus. By that I mean, he's sort of a prototype. A good person who follows important religious guidelines and is a seemingly solid member of society, even part of the institutionalized church. But once sometimes we miss the word, we, we mistake the word solid for stationary. You understand? Solid and stationary too. Stationary means I'm not moving. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not accomplishing anything. Let me just tell you something that I've learned about cars. I have a 17 year old daughter. She is desperate to get her license because her mom has stirred up this crazy thought that she needs to drive by herself. And I think it's not of God and I prayed against it. I've even prayed in tongues and it's still in working. Because my, my daughter who's not here tonight, so I can say this and you won't tell her I said this. But uh, uh, well, I'll, let me just leave it like this. Um, my car is a different shape today than it was before she started driving. 
You would be amazed how much damage you can do to a fender in two foot from a parked position if you forget that you're in drive and you push the gas pedal. And the restaurant in front of you doesn't move out of your way. It's an amazing thing. But here's the thing. If that car sets still, it never gets dented. The tires never get worn out. Nothing ever happens. But if the car, you know, it's stationary, nothing bad happens, but you go nowhere. And I think a lot of people in their Christian walk have settled for stationary, but God doesn't want a stationary church. He doesn't speak to Nicodemus about a stationary settling. He's talking about an adventure. It's following God is an adventure. You know where the wind, you hear the wind, you know it's going somewhere, you know where it came from. That's the way it is with the Holy Spirit. Then he talks about the spiritual necessity of it. He, he says to Nicodemus, he talks to him about the, uh, coming into the kingdom. Nicodemus says, what's missing in me? And Jesus lays it out there. He says, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born again when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Here's the reality. Very simple reality. We're going somewhere tonight, but you got to get this. You can't do what God wants you to do unless you are filled with the Spirit of God. It's impossible. The whole reality of a kingdom lifestyle is a spirit-driven lifestyle. You can go to church, you can pay tithes, but I'm telling you, this, this whole reality of a Christian life, this adventure that God has called us to, is a spiritual reality. It's not just what you do with your hands and your feet. And sometimes as pastors, we have to say so much about that, that, that people kind of take the, the spiritual realities of the kingdom and, and just reduce it to some foolish little things that we do. Jesus said, it's a spiritual kingdom. It's a spiritual reality. You have to be born of the Spirit. And then he goes on to say, and he says in verse number six and verse number eight, he talks about certainty with uncertainty. And here's where we start to get to where I'm going tonight. Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed to you that I said you can, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it's going. He said, that which is born of the Holy Spirit takes on the life of the Holy Spirit. Did any of you meet my son last night? Did it? Did you meet my son? Now, Lucas is uh, six foot two, uh, and he's uh, just—he's he's just bigger than me, and I don't like it a whole lot. I'll be honest with you. Uh, my other son, uh, Jordan, is about my height, a little more similar in build. He's—he's he's a little more stout than I am, and I don't like that either. But you can look at both of them and see they have characteristics that let you know. They belong to me, or at least they came from me. They're, they're, they're a part, uh, I'm a part of their life. When Jesus was describing to Nicodemus what it was like to be in the kingdom of God, he said, here's what the Holy Spirit is like. He's like the wind. You hear the sound, you know it's there, you don't know where it goes, and you don't know where it came from. It's, it's unpredictable. How many people here tonight are sleeping in tents? Anybody got brave sleeping in tents? I heard it got rough here last night. Is that true? You know, it wasn't so bad in our cabin over there. Didn't notice a thing. Slept through it all. But I'll tell you what, the wind can really whip in Ohio. I found that out. You know, I'm laying under. You know, the wind blows harder on the second floor than it does on the first floor. At least it seems that way to me. You know, there were a couple times I thought to myself, I hope whoever built this house didn't skimp on the screws and the nails, because I mean, it was really shaking. Sometimes the wind does things that you didn't see coming. It's unpredictable. You know it's there. There's certainty, but there's uncertainty. And I believe that's what Christianity is supposed to be like. You can't take my salvation from me. You can't talk me out of my love for God. You can't take away the solid rock that I stand on. But man alive, does God ever throw some curveballs sometimes? There's certainty with uncertainty. And Jesus said, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. When Jesus 
had a leader of the Pharisees there. Nicodemus was there. He had a solo audience. And Jesus was writing. And, and the Holy Spirit, God, God the Holy Spirit, in His infinite wisdom, was making sure we are going to get the conversation. And He wanted to describe what Christianity was like. I don't think I would have done that the way He did it. I would have said, you get to feel safe. You get to feel pure. You get to feel clean. You, you even get to feel like you have power over circumstances instead of them. But Jesus, in the one sentence to describe Christianity, he said, here's what it's like to be in the kingdom. He says, it's like the wind blowing. Certainty with uncertainty. It's this adventure. Is it okay to come down there? Or is it bad? Pastor John, can I go down there? It's okay. When I was uh, 17, oh, it might not be so good. I should have looked up at the sound man. He just said, no, stay on the platform. When I was 17, uh, my dad, uh, for my 17th birthday, he gave me a, uh, a down payment on a car. In fact, do you have a picture of that car up there? Come on, man. You know that's bad right there. That's a V8. Mine only had a two-barrel carburetor, but a V8... Uh, it was a, I, I wouldn't have picked the dark chocolate brown, but you know, dad paid $500 down on it and he let me pay the remaining $600 that was left on it at $35 a week to this other fellow friend of his. And so I did that and that car was great. But at the time I was dating the girl and she lived 35 miles away in the town of Covington. We were living in Memphis at the time. Uh, and the, the road that connected us was highway 51. And on Highway 51, at that time, the speed limit was 55. Do any of you remember when the speed limit used to be 55 on major highways? Yeah, it's making us look old, right? So uh, I would go to see her, and I would get, my dad had taught me now, son, you want to keep up with traffic, and that probably means you're going to go about five miles over the speed limit. Don't get crazy. So if it's 55, just think in terms of 60. So I get on the interstate, I mean on the highway, Highway 51, four lanes, divided highway, pretty safe. And I've got my Buick Skylark V8. I got, it didn't have a really good radio, but what it had, I had, you know, going and even had air conditioning and plush pleather seats that were kind of vinylish and uh, everything was good. And I'm riding down and I get to 55 and I'm taking my dad's advice and I'm pumping on up and at 57, the whole car starts like that. So I immediately back off. But I did not get a 1971 Buick Skylark to back off. So I went back up because I thought maybe it was a pothole or something. Of course, that was in Tennessee. If it had been a pothole like you have in Ohio, I could have just, you know, been all over. But about 57, here we go again. And I backed off and down around 52, it would stop. You know, 54, 52. And I get up and I think to myself, if letting off of this thing stops the shimmying and the shaking, what will happen if I go past it? Because after all, my dad said 60. You're saying in your mind, that's breaking the law, Pastor. Well, maybe it was. But my dad, it wasn't breaking my dad's law. And dad would bail me out because he said go 60. So I hit to f- go to 57. And I pressed that baby to 58, and I'm 59, and I'm 60, and about 61, starts to level off, 62. I could get up to about 63, and it was smooth as silk. But at 63, I knew I was on the verge of a ticket. Because Daddy said 60, even though the speed limit said 55, 63, I was in no man's land. But I wasn't shaking anymore. So I had this... This horrible decision that I had to deal with. Do I do 53 smooth as silk and crawl like every 90-year-old driving and I'm 17? Or do I do 63? I want you to know I did 63. Occasionally 65, thank you very much. Found out though, if you just changed the back tire, it had a bubble on it. It would go smooth, everything. 
But here's the thing. A lot of people in the church, what we really want in life is a smooth ride. Let's be honest. All we really want out of this life is a smooth ride with a good ending. And I just sometimes think in my, think that must be a smack in the face of Jesus. To die on the cross, forgive all of your sins, go through all of that, and then send the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. The same Holy Spirit that, 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 the, the creative Holy Spirit that, that had so all of the creation that you see, the beauty around us, to think that all of that is in here, and what I really want is a smooth ride. How, how must that feel to Jesus? And I think what a lot of people are doing is they're just backing off 52. Because at 52, things don't shake. So, I'm, I'm pastoring in, uh, Florida. Um, I had been on staff at the church. For eight and a half years, left to take my first pastorate in Panama City, which is Florida, but it's actually Lower Alabama. If you've ever been to Panama City, you know what I'm talking about. Really good biscuits and gravy and all that stuff. It's awesome. Um, and then they asked me to go back to Venice, and we went back and we were the pastor there for eight, pastors there for 18 years. In that church, that church. Uh, I'd got to pray with my mom years before. It was in that church that I walked down that very aisle, the center aisle, and stood there and said I do to my wife. It was in that church that uh, two out of the three of my babies were dedicated and all three of my children were baptized. I came to that church when I was 18. My whole adult life had been in that one church in Venice. And uh, things were going pretty good. I mean, we weren't blowing the doors off, but... We had just started a Saturday night service and um, we were just partnering with Southeastern uh, University and we're going to have an extension campus at the at the church. And we really felt like God was helping us and uh, things were going good. And I get this call from uh, Al Yano. Al Yano calls and says, hey, Gary, Al and I have been good friends for a long time. He and I were in school together uh, back in the 80s. I know I know what you're thinking. How did I do that? I went to school very early. I was 12 when I started college. Um, Al says, hey, Gary, we've got some churches open in Youngstown. I wonder if you knew anyone that was looking for churches. And he talked about them. And we're about to end the conversation. He said, but um, there's a church uh, called Highway Tabernacle. And uh, they're, uh, they're looking for a pastor. And he said, I was thinking about what they're going through. Really is very similar to what you guys had went through when you went to your church in Venice. And uh, they love missions, and I know your church loves missions. And we were just thinking, man, it'd be a great fit. And I and he said, oh, you ought to pray about it. And I told the biggest lie. I said, I'll pray about it. And I hung up the phone, and I never prayed a thing about it. I didn't. It was the week before Easter. I couldn't pray about Ohio for crying out loud. We get through Easter, and I get a call from um, uh, Doctor Bob Roden. He's the interim pastor at Highway at the time, and and. Uh, when he introduces himself, he says, uh, uh, Gary, I said, yes. He said, this is Bob. And I thought he was like a salesman. This is Dr. Bob Roden. So does anyone know who Dr. Bob Roden is? One of the great leaders in our movement. In- he- oh, you know, Dr. He was here last year. Incredible, incredible leader, incredible speaker. And I think he's a salesman and I'm getting ready to blow him off. You know, I wasn't really nice. And then it hit me because I had people in my church who had been in his ministry and when I heard the bob in the road and I thought, oh, I am done for. And he says, hey, Gary, why don't you and Rhonda think about coming up to uh, highway and why don't you just speak for a weekend? And if God's in it, if you feel something, then y'all can talk a little more. But if not, you made a friend and we made a friend. He said it will be a no pressure weekend. <laughs> and it was in April. And in April, it was already... 120 degrees in Florida. I'm just kidding. It wasn't that hot, but it was already hot. And I thought, great time to go to Ohio. And, and we, and Rhonda and I, but we, I called some spiritual mentors and I said, this is what, this is what I've been offered to just come. And I said, is that right? I'm, I'm not sure God's done with this. You know, we don't feel anything about leaving here. 
And they all said, you know, best thing to do is go and put your feet on the ground. And then, you know what? At the very least, God will confirm your call to Venice. Make, and I said, all right, that's good. So, you know, got some witnesses together and, and, and we prayed about it and we, we came. Got off the plane and, and I told you last night it was snowing and I thought, I'm hearing from God right now. It's snowing in April. What kind of place has such sinful people that God would punish them with snow in April, you know? Uh, so so we, we get to the church and here's all I ask from God. And all I ask from the few people, I didn't even tell my kids why we were here. Uh, all I asked from God was, God, just please give me a clear signal of what to do. In my heart, I believe I'm willing to go if you say go. But in my heart, I'm ready to stay. I just want to be in your will. Uh, but you've got to make it clear. We get off the plane in Akron Canton Airport. My wife turns her phone back on. And a friend of hers, who is a pastor's wife, are y'all st- is it okay if I share this story? I wanted to tell you about my wild goose chase. You okay? You still with me? Okay. So we get, get off the, we're getting off the plane. She turns on her phone. And the pastor's wife said, Dear Gary and Rhonda, praying for your weekend. Praise that, pray that it goes really well. God uses you guys to minister to the church. And praying that God would make his will clear. In fact, so clear that when it happens, you laugh out loud. And we thought, yeah, that's what we want. God to make it really, really clear. I, we get there, and on this no-pressure weekend, remember, no pressure. The first thing we do is he set up a meeting to meet the whole board at the restaurant. <laughs> So we walk into the, to the restaurant and there's the board. A couple of them weren't there. Really nice men. Uh, and we eat and I'm looking around. Ron's looking around and we're waiting on, you know, the whoo. In fact, my friend Trinity, who had pastored in Utah, planted a church to reach Mormons and God gave him incredible success. Just uh, a little bit of time before that, God had called him to go back to law school and he was really struggling with, should he go back to law school? And he got a full ride to Miami. It was kind of crazy. They sought him out and all this stuff. And he's flying into Miami saying, God, what am I doing? Is this really you? And he goes, and as the plane is landing, he looks out the window and uh, you know those uh, shipping yards with the big uh, containers? There was like a whole wall of them. And his name is Trinity Jordan. And they all said, Trinity, 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 Trinity. And he got off the plane and went to try to find them. And he got lost. They were probably there, but he got lost. And I thought, God, if I could have something like that, I'll know it's you. So we meet with them. And, and there wasn't a single plate that said, Gary, 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 or nothing. And, uh, no one knew our name. You know, it was. And uh, then they took us to the church. It was dark. Uh, have any of you ever been to Highway Tabernacle? I still get lost. There are things about the building that are kind of hard to navigate. And there are places that are kind of, it would be the world's greatest hide and seek national competition. It's awesome. Uh, but we went through, Dr. Roden showed us the building and we met there and we got in the car and, and I looked at Ron and she looked at me and I said, did that help you? And she said, no, it didn't help me. I said, it didn't help me either. So we're going to meet the, there's some more board, no pressure weekend, by the way. Uh, we're going to meet the rest of the board that wasn't there for that. And we go there and we, we meet and uh, everything is good. And uh, we go back to the hotel and I said, Rhonda, I'm not feeling anything. I'm not feeling anything. In fact, if I'm feeling anything, it's like, this probably isn't it. And she said, me either. And I had a whole message. I brought two messages to preach to the church. And I said to my wife, I told her what they were. And I said, which one should I preach? And she said, oh, they're both good, which means they both stink. She knew it and I knew it because they weren't going to work. And I start, I start praying and, and considering what I'm going to say to the board when we leave to say, because uh, the, the church had been through some really tough times and I felt like God had given me a word to kind of say to the, to, the, to the board. And as I'm doing this, getting ready Sunday morning to preach to these people that I don't know, I feel like God just as clear as a bell says, you, get, you got to tell that to the whole church, not just the board. So I had to get the whole thing together Sunday morning to talk to the church. So, I, so we do, and, and uh, we're sitting there, and I'm, you know, just thinking, I'm going to get through this message and all that, and, and we're, we're singing, and, and they're singing something. And, I mean, it was good, but it wasn't like, you know, like, wow. I looked over, and Rhonda was crying, and I said, this is not good. She's crying. This is not good. So we get through the service, and, and no fireworks or anything like that, and um, we get ready to leave and we, oh, excuse me, we go back to, I just kicked in the speaker, sorry about that sound, man. Uh, if, if the bass goes, it's my fault. Um, 
So we go, we leave the meeting and we go back to another board meeting in the no pressure weekend. And we're sitting around the table and the oldest man on the board, his name is uh, Ralph, incredible guy. We talk a little bit and he says to me, why would you consider coming here? And I said, here's my answer. I said, if God called me to Africa, I believe I'd go to Africa. If God called me to New Mexico, I believe I'd go to New Mexico. Uh, so if God called me to Ohio, I would come to Ohio. But you know we're not looking. We're just trying to be open to what God says. And that's what we're here for, to just be open. He looks at my wife, and here's her answer. She says, oh, we're just on a wild goose chase following the Holy Spirit. And she didn't say anything else. And that's the end of the meeting. And we walk out of the meeting, and we get in the hall, and I said, what did you say that for? <laughs> They're going to think we're weirdos. I mean, so we don't come, but you don't have to make them think we're weird. They don't know about the book. We're on a wild goose chase. Yeah, get them yahoos back down there, you know. So we go in and we change into our jeans. And, and this is such a quick weekend that we have to get back in the car, run to the airport. So we get dressed and, and I'm standing at the car. And the trunk is up. Rhonda's getting ready to get in. And I remember that moment very well because I, I, was, I, was, I was a little mad and a little frustrated and pretty disappointed. I thought, God, all I ask you for was make it clear. And this is the one place I didn't want to be. Now I'm going to have to decide. Because, you know, sometimes God will say, I'll bless you if you go. I'll bless you if you stay. You know, God can do that. But I didn't ask for that. I said, God, make it clear. And we're getting ready. To, I'm getting ready to shut the trunk. And I hear this loud noise. And I turn. Go ahead and click for me. Phil. That goose, all by himself, comes flying in over the back parking lot of Highway Tabernacle. And he just, it was like, just smooth as silk. But he never stopped honking. And he landed 20 yards in front of me. That's why I took the picture. And he's honking and honking. Now, Rhonda giggles because she thinks that's funny because she just told them we're on a wild goose chase. <laughs> and we see a wild goose. I didn't laugh. <laughs> I didn't. I'll be honest with you. Now, I'm a pastor. I love God. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. But that spooked me out a little bit. I thought it was spooky. And I walked over and I stood there. I mean, as close as... Just about as close as I am to Jeff. And that goose never stopped honking. It was like, you know, he could have shut up anytime he wanted. He could have flown in quietly and took back off and we'd have never seen the thing. But he never stopped honking. And I went over and I took the picture because I knew there was that sense on the inside. Oh, this is, this is it. Something's happening. You know, some doors. And the goose took off. And this time he flew back across the same parking lot and he circled the church. All, and I kept thinking, Geese don't fly alone. And somehow in my mind, if I could see the rest of them, it didn't count. <laughs> so when he circled the church, he landed in the yard. I'm running across the parking lot. I will find it. There's no other geese. And it's kind of this strange feeling because I feel like, oh God, this is going to be, this is it. Because I'm, I'm 26 years at the same church. Every Sunday, I'm, sometimes I play the keyboard, but every Sunday, my middle son is leading worship. My oldest son is playing lead guitar. My daughter's working in children's church. My wife is on the worship team. And everybody in that church I had relationships with. And all in the town. I was as comfortable as comfortable could be. I was living the dream that every, not just was I at a good church, but my whole family was in it. And I knew my two boys were at the age that if I said I'm going to Ohio, they might say, have a good time. So we're flying back. And, and I'll try to wrap it up quick. I'm sorry. Uh, the other part of the story that really was messing with us is there's two missionaries, Nelson and Renee DeFreitas, uh, and their whole family. In the, in the Dominican Republic. And they would come off their furlough and stay at our church in Venice. And we had a missions house that they could live in. Or we'd find some place to rent them. And they became like missionaries and residents for a year. We were their home base. They were safe there. 
uh, missionaries don't have like, you know, they're, they're gone for so long. We, all, we knew them and anytime they wanted to go, we'd protect their kids. They could go, they'd be safe. We, lo- we loved them, they loved us. And they had everything in order to come to Venice. This is in April and May and they're coming in June. And we called them and said, you know, I'm not saying we're leaving, but something's happening. And they, just like really good godly people, they said, don't let us be a single part of the equation. You just try to follow God. So we go up there and we see the goose. And we're not saying the goose called us to Ohio. (laughs) But that goose short was a game changer. Because we knew it was God saying something to us. And all the way home we're thinking, what about Nelson? I feel like I've got a just the weight of the world on my shoulders because that whole family is now going to have to change everything if we leave. So we call them and they say, don't you worry, we're praying. They, they said to us, she told us later, she said, we told you on the phone, don't you worry. And then we got the phone and we hit our face and said, oh God, please don't let them leave. We'll do, do something, you know. Uh, they get a call out of the blue. This is cool. I'm scared to death about what's going to happen to my missionary friends. They get a call from Southwestern Assemblies of God. And the missions directors there said, and, and a lot of missionaries want that gig. But they went past all of those people and said to Nelson and Renee, we'd like for you to come to Southwestern Assemblies of God and be our missions directors, not for a one-year deal, but for a four-year deal. Now, here's, watch this now. Their sons were already in, enrolled in the school in Venice, and their oldest son was going to go to our extension campus, and it was going to cost them $9,000 a year. It was a cheap way to go to college. When they started having the conversation and their leaders said okay and the people at Southwestern said okay so they come to Southwestern and when they go there their two youngest sons go to Christian school for free their oldest son who was going to go to college for 9,000 now gets to go four years for free and the two of them get to finish their master's degree guess how much for free all of a sudden, God started moving pieces and getting things in place. Here's, here's what I'm trying to say to you. I was scared to death. When I got back from the goose thing, we got up the next morning, we said to our kids, okay, kids, we've got to be, tell your story. Here's what happened, and here's why we went to Ohio. And uh, first, uh, excuse me, my daughter starts crying. And she was the one I was worried about. She was 10th grade going into 11th grade, and that's a very volatile time. And I thought, what's going to happen to her? What kind of dad am I that I would uproot my 10th grader? You know, I'm going through all of that stuff. She cries a little bit. Then they get past it and they say, my son Lucas says, dad, I'm ready. Let's go for it. And she kind of starts working. He goes to school. He works in a special needs program. Uh, I think it was most of the kids had Down syndrome at the school. And he got to be one of the workers in that class. At the end of the class that day, they do something where they do some little projects and tear paper. One of the kids tore it and walks up to Lucas out of the blue and holds it up and says, look. It's Ohio. The morning when they got ready to go out the door to, to, to get ready to go into, for the first, I had lived in that house 18 years. For the first time in 18 years, now I know they weren't geese, but six ducks came and landed in our yard. And my daughter said, Dad, there were six geese. I said, baby, they're ducks. She said, no, no, they're little geese. You know. And everything began to just turn. Here's, here's what I'm saying. I was this close, this close to playing it safe. We stepped out in the water. It, it's, not been, it's not been easy. But I can tell you what I know for sure. I have the confidence of the presence of God the Holy Spirit. I can say to Highway Tabernacle, I can say to my district pastor, I can say without any question, if I blow it, it's not because I'm in the wrong place. I know where I'm supposed to be. And, and I know God is with, and here's what's happening in the body of Christ. So many people are looking for comfort and God is looking for people who are ready to ride. 
God is looking for a church and God, listen, he is stirring up some things that are, uh, that, that Ohio is in the center of. I'm getting phone calls from people who are saying, you know what? I lived in Ohio. I moved to thus and such. And I just feel God is calling me back to Ohio. And I know I didn't do that. I, I'm not in, in any way insinuating that. But when you step out of the water, it opens the doors for others that you don't even know about. And the next place and the next place. And I think what God really wants to say tonight, really the whole point of this thing is, some of you, pastors, families, moms, dads, grandparents, have believed the lie that your goal is comfort, that your goal is safety. Do we trust God or not? Is God real or not? Jesus said to Nicodemus, the wind blows, it'll surprise you. That's what it's like to be in my family. So let me just ask you this question. When's the last time God surprised you? When's the last time you just said, God, I'll do something that you've never done before? Maybe tonight is all about being honest and saying, I've been getting comfortable instead of getting in the business of the kingdom of God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? Let the Holy Spirit begin to do something. God, we're asking in this moment right now, musicians, you can go ahead and come. I'm asking in this moment now, when we started this whole thing, you know how many times I ask you to help me and anoint me, but then we all together ask you to anoint us and to bless us. So Holy Spirit, I'm counting on you answering that prayer right now. There are dads in this room. There are young men and young ladies in this room. There are parents in this room, moms in this room, who have forgotten that we're in a we we are serving a God who who is full of adventure. Who would call Simon Peter? Get out of the boat! Come on, take a shot. See what it's like to walk on water. Feel what it's like to leave the comfort of your fishing business. Come and follow me. Leave the comfort of the norm. Leave the comfort of the average. Step out. God, I know you're saying that to hearts tonight. And I'm grateful, God, that when we do step out of the boat, when we do step beyond the box, when we do willingly say, God, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do whatever it is you have for me. If we're honest and we we admit that we've been too, too consumed with just the comfort and the safety of our lives. Be willing to say, we'll go wherever and do whatever. Holy Spirit, we make a room for You. We make a place for You.